Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. So this morning's gospel is from Luke, and in it Jesus tells a parable, and in the parable he does three things. He tells us about the past of Israel, he tells us about the near future of Jesus, and he tells us about our present. So the past of Israel, the near future of Jesus, and our present. If you are the kind of person that likes to open the Bible, this is when you can do that, and I am going to be at Luke 1, starting at verse 3. Phones, pew Bibles, if you brought one. So Luke in his introduction says this, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. So the things he's followed, of course, are the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. To write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, Theophilus is most certainly a particular person. Perhaps a young believer that Luke is mentoring, but as is more frequently speculated, Theophilus was perhaps a patron who was supporting Luke as he wrote this gospel we call Luke and then added to it the book of Acts. But Theophilus means God-loving or loved by God. And in this, as the Bible so often does, we are given more than one meaning for this name. It may be a person. It may mean the meaning of the name. And this account was written so that the one loved by God, so that all of you could have a certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, we see this concern in one of my favorite Bible verses, 1 John chapter 5 at verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who have the Son of God so that you may know, so that you may have a certainty of the things you have believed. So that's the reason, I think if you wanted a one reason for why all of the New Testament was written, it would be this. They were written so that Believers in the first century and those of us in the 21st century can be certain of what we have believed. So, where are we in this orderly account that Luke wrote? So, in the timeline of Jesus, in Jesus' timeline, this parable is told, he tells during the last week of his life. He is in the temple court, and the triumphal entry has already happened. We'll talk more about that next week on Palm Sunday. But Jesus has intentionally entered Jerusalem as a king, as the Messiah, and he rode in on a donkey, which was a humble means of communicating. He is proclaiming himself as a humble, self-giving servant 
not a conquering king. A conquering king would have come in on a mighty steed, a great big horse. So I often wonder about the people that are following along with Jesus and throwing out their cloaks and the palm branches, and they're singing Hosanna, but they're hoping for a king that would conquer the Romans. So I wonder if they question the donkey as a vehicle. And yet they sang and celebrated and hoped until later in the week when they decided they had been duped and cried out for Jesus to be crucified. So today's gospel is actually found in Luke chapter 20 at verse 9. There we will see the parable that was just read. And this, this parable actually needs no explanation. You know, the parable of the seeds where the sower scattered seeds abroad in all different kinds of soil and the disciples were confused and needed to have it explained to them. This parable didn't need that. Everyone within hearing knew who the characters were in this parable. And that is in large part because Jesus is using a very familiar text from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 5, the prophet wrote a poem about God planting a vineyard, planting Israel like a vineyard, and caring for it, desiring good grapes and finding only wild grapes. And despite all of God's tender, loving care, Israel has wandered far from him. And so all that is left for Israel is judgment. It's an alarming story, really, of what happens if the people of God stubbornly reject the purpose for which God has called them. Now, in all of the Old Testament, God is very clear about what he desires, in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, it says, And what, what does God require of you? And he says this, To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep his commandments. We know the, the Israelites struggled with this, didn't they? And I guess if we do a scan, we maybe do too. So Jesus reshapes this familiar prophecy to weave in the truth that God had sent prophets to speak for him. And he sent them longing for the day that Israel would at last obey his call to be the people he wanted them to be. But the prophets were rejected, and the people have gone their own way. Now God, the owner of the vineyard, according to Jesus' parable, has sent his beloved son, Surely they will not reject them. Those in the temple court hearing this narrative Jesus is telling recognize this idea of beloved son. Those are the same words that were heard at Jesus' baptism when a voice from heaven said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus tells us what is about to happen. Israel, represented by its highest authorities, the chief priests, are going to reject him and kill him too. This, Jesus knows, is his near future. 
So his telling of this story is actually meant as a final warning to Israel. One we know they ignore. One we know they must ignore. Because Jesus must be crucified. Because we, we need a savior. So what then will the owner of the vineyard do to these wicked tenant farmers that have killed his son? Well, Jesus tells us he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now, the question is, who are the others? The commentaries say the apostles are the others. And indeed, they were. But the apostles passed on the faith to others, who passed on the faith to others, who passed on the faith to others, until at last all of us have become the others because we have received the faith. So you might wonder, well, where is my vineyard that I am to tend if I am to take the place of these wicked tenant farmers? And I would say what you have probably heard from pulpits ever since you have become a believer or a seeker is that your vineyard is wherever the Lord gives you influence. Your vineyard is your neighbors, your family, your friends, where you work. And even here at Advent, there's a vineyard to be tended here, and we are all a part of that tending of the vineyard. What I think is interesting that while we are to tend, tend the vineyard, as the Bible often does, gives us different word pictures of who we are, in Christ, so we tend the vineyard, but we are also the vineyard. Jesus says that we are the branches in the vine, and he is the vine. In John 15, Jesus said, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We abide in the vine and this is Jesus, straight up Jesus' word. I'm not adding any of my own stuff. We abide in the word. We abide in him by abiding in the word. Being in his word, I know sometimes we go through times where it seems hard to get ourselves to be in the word. But it's not meant to be a burdensome task. That's a harder word to say than you might think. But it is a place to be loved, instructed, and practice his presence. Jesus also said we abide by praying, bearing fruit, by keeping his commandments. So this morning, I thought I would offer a brief abiding plan. St. Benedict called it a rule of life. We usually call it a rhythm of life because we don't like the word rule so much. And I would suggest there actually is a difference between a rule and a rhythm, and I will get to that. So how are you abiding in the vine? What are your practices? 
Adele Calhoun in her Spiritual Disciplines Handbook says this, a rule for life is a simple statement. It's not a master's thesis. It's a simple statement of the regular rhythms we choose in order to present our bodies to God as our spiritual act of worship. Each ruler rhythm is a way we partner with God for the transformation that only he can bring. Rules keep our lives from devolving into unintended chaos. Life-giving rules are brief, and they are a realistic plan of disciplines that support our heart's desire to grow in loving God and others. So a rule honors your limits. I want to emphasize that. Sometimes we hear about a new thing and we set off in this giant direction um, that kind of forgets we actually have limits. So a rule honors your limits. It also honors your God-given longings. It tempers self-importance and must be written for who you are, not who you are not. A rule should not be a burden. It should not be a dutiful act to feel like you're earning something or proving something. Nor should it be so loosely held that there actually isn't a rhythm or a form or a shape. A simple rule may read like this, and I'm borrowing this from Adele Calhoun also because it is brilliantly simple. There are eight. Number one, dedicate every day for the glory of God. Do this in the morning. That can simply be when you wake up, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my bed, where I've slept. But now, Lord, help me to live my life in a way that brings you glory. Number two, confess my sins before I go to bed. So good to do. We all sin. It's really nice to cut off those accounts with the Lord at night. So we've hit the top of the morning. We've got the end of the day. Number three, worship the Lord alone and with others. We're accomplishing that, aren't we? Here we are, worshiping the Lord with others. I would say if anything is imperative in a rule, it's that. We have to gather together as the body of believers. And how sweet it is that all of you have chosen to be here to make this your family. Four, practice the presence of God. And that's where I think the, the rhythms come in, the practices. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. Don't hold grudges. Forgive others. Number six, I love this one, eat sensibly. Number seven, pray for others. We must pray for others. And you know why? Because we need them to pray for us. We need the prayers of each other. And if you think, mm, I don't really even know how to pray for people, open up the directory, add Jace, go through, look at people's names and faces, and you'll get to know names and faces better. I'm speaking to myself too. And just pray blessings. Say, Lord, bless these people when you come to them in the directory. Eight, give wandering thoughts to God. So all those wandering thoughts, the hateful thoughts, the worried thoughts, the lustful thoughts, the thoughts that you know simply do not bring glory to God and that you wouldn't talk with Jesus about if he were right here. 
even though he knows them. And give them to him. That's one of the things I recommend so often when I'm doing inner healing prayer with somebody is, you know, give, give that to Jesus. Put it in his hands. Watch. What will he do with it? Well, I'll tell you most often what people tell me is he threw it like as far as the east is from the west. Unless, of course, it's already been grabbed out of his hands. So then you have to give it back to him again. It's a practice, right? So this morning I thought I would share with you what I do during the week, basically. Um, not because I think this is what you need to do. I just thought I'd share with you what I do. So Tuesday, Thursday mornings every week at 7.30 a.m., I join Advent Morning Prayer on YouTube. It's a time of praying portions of morning prayer out of the Book of Common Prayer. And it's a time to intercede for each other and for the world. I hold it as a sacred trust that we have a small group of people. And you can, well, you can join us anytime. We'd love for it to be big. But that are faithfully interceding for the church of God in the world from this church. I find it an honor that there are people that have set that time aside to do that and to get to be a part of it. Other mornings, because that's only Tuesday, Thursday, I'm reading through the one-year Bible. And I really enjoy this format. It has Old Testament, New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb. And it's written in such a way it feels a little novel-like when I read it. But it also means I am not stuck for months and months in the Old Testament. That much is lovely. I, I believe that to be true, but some is difficult to get through. So I'll just put that there. So, my mornings get off to a good start. I've spent some time in the Word. I've spent some time praying, feel kind of close to God. And then the day goes on, and the work starts, and the interruptions happen, and people have demands. And all of a sudden, I'm not feeling so much in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I'm actually kind of grumpy. And I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. So, one of the things I started doing some time ago, was setting the alarm on my phone for 12.30. And then when the alarm goes off, sometimes I'm like, oh, rescued, because I needed to be rescued. I needed to come back into the presence of, the gods, of God. So I'll take a deep breath, let it out, just like you might practice before any of your practices, and begin to recenter my life on the presence of God. Now, we know that God is everywhere present, right? So it's not like we had to scurry to find him. He's right there. He just wants us to pay attention. And then I pray the Lord's Prayer. And my husband knows I do this, and lots of times at 1230, I'm with him. It's lunchtime after all, and we pray. Sometimes a grandchild or two is there, and so we explain what we're doing, and we pray the Lord's Prayer together. So that's the middle of the day. Probably could set my alarm for every hour, if I were honest. I probably am more in need than just the 12.30, but that's what I do. If you set yours for more, I will pray to encourage you in that practice. Um, so now it's nighttime, and in the evening, this is what I do, and I'm going to unapologetically tell you that I actually use the book I wrote, which is Praying Through Psalms with Anglican prayer beads. And what I find is that my body, sort of like the deep breath that you take before a quiet time and your body kind of goes, oh, we're going to pay attention to God now. Uh, prayer beads do the same thing. 
as you begin to hold them and then pray through them. And the way the book is formatted is that um, you pray through, an well, most of an entire psalm. Some of the psalms are too long to get through all the beads. Um, but anyway, so I do that. And during Lent, I have been choosing Psalm 51, which is a psalm of repentance. And I pray that every night. It really settles my soul before I go to bed. And then after that, I do an examine. And there are examines. I promise you we're not going to have handouts every week, but you should be able to find an examine in front of you. And I'd encourage you to take them home. This has been around for a long time. We used this at uh, Women's Retreat several years ago. And so the examine is here. And there's Lectio prompts on the back, but I'm not going to talk to you about Lectio because I don't have time. <laughs> um, so the point of an examine is that you, you go across your day with the Lord. You basically are like, where were you, Lord? Sometimes I am like, I, I don't know. I didn't recognize you anywhere, Lord. Is there, is there some place you want me to know I missed? But other days, there's things that happen that are lovely and wonderful. And you want to spend some time with God in them. And I highly recommend as you go through your day, if you come across something that is just so lovely, that you really spend some time there in gratitude. We call it interactive gratitude because you're interacting with God and Remember the time and tell God why you're so grateful to him for, for what happened in that moment. Um, there are some questions on here that you can use to go through. I'm not saying you have to use all six of these questions every time. One or two may be just enough. But the idea is to spend some time with the Lord and say, where did I miss you? Or, oh, Lord, thank you. I knew you were there. But it's not a time to beat yourself up. It's not time to go through the day and go, oh, I'm such a mess up. I mean, if you feel that way, I think you obviously have to hand it to the Lord. But I think what we often find is that we, are, we judge ourselves too harshly. And the Lord will want to tend to you in that way and let you know how dearly beloved you are. Um, so that's kind of what I do. That's one of the ways I try to abide in the Lord. Don't hear me say I get to all of it every day, because that's not true. Most days. The goal is most days. Um, so that's my abiding plan. And the reason I share that with you is because of the importance that we are the others. We tend the garden, and but we have to tend ourselves too. We have to tend our own relationship with God. We must abide in him. And I don't mean must like but must, like it's a privilege, it's a joy. It's, God is waiting for us, and he wants us to be in his presence. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, 2, You then, my child, you put your name in there, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me through many witnesses, entrust to faithful people, who will be able to teach others as well, who will teach others, who will teach others. We are the others, tending others. So in order to be strong in the grace of Jesus, we have to abide in him through regular practices of meeting with him. We are to tend the vineyard, abide in the vine, and pass on the faith.
Will you pray with me? In this moment, draw me to yourself, Lord, and make me aware not so much of what I've given as of all I have received and so have yet to share. Send me forth in power and gladness and with great courage to live out in the world what I pray and profess that in sharing I may do justice, make peace, grow in love, enjoy myself, other people, and your world now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.